Welcome back to the Dream Create Enjoy podcast. Here with uh, us is you got me, Jacob, and then we have I'm Robert Meyer. Robert, first time on the podcast, really glad to have you. And the reason why we have Robert is because we're interviewing different microchurch leaders and people from our microchurches as we gather stories and gather uh, different perspectives on how we live out the way of Jesus, where we live, work, and play, how we dream, create, enjoy. So Robert, we're really thrilled to have you. And so for those people who do not know you, would you just give a short version of your story so they know who uh, they're getting to hang out with today? Yeah. So I um, grew up in Colorado, uh, went to church with my mom growing up, uh, went off to Bible college, and um, felt a sense of God calling me into full-time ministry. And uh, while I was in Bible college in Arkansas, I uh, participated in a summer internship in Africa, and it just totally reshaped my worldview, uh, which I think is a theme for a lot of young people. Um, And so I came back um, feeling inspired to do ministry that didn't look um, like the traditional brick and mortar uh, church that I'd grown up in. And I got involved with an inner city ministry and so for all my years in um, undergrad and grad school, I was essentially a youth pastor um, working with kids in a low-income neighborhood in Little Rock. And uh, I did a, uh, like a discipleship ministry mentoring program, after-school program, brought in volunteers, worked with kids. And when Tegan and I, I met my wife while in university in Arkansas, and we got married and we moved into the neighborhood um, and uh, lived in the same area that our kids lived in that we were working with um, and, and just saw how God did incredible things just through our, our presence there. Uh, while I was in grad school, we were invited by uh, friends to um, think about doing mission work overseas in Africa and specifically in Angola, Africa, and we were very interested and saw how um, there was a need there that other people um, hadn't chosen to, to meet. Um, Angola had war, uh, 40 years of war that ended in 2002. And I finished college in 2004, so there was this open door for people to go. And so we uh, went on a, a vision trip uh, and decided that we were going to go to Af- Angola, Africa. We moved there uh, in 2000 and in 2010, we went to Portugal to learn Portuguese. 2011, we moved to Angola and we stayed there for 10 years. Uh, the first few years, um, we were committed to working with Angolans. We didn't want to come in as outsiders and tell them how it needed to be done. So um, we worked with them, which meant we did um, several years of kind of brick and mortar church planting. Um, that's how our, that was how our Angolan partners wanted to do things. And so at the end of um, two years, we'd planted three churches with Angolans, and at the end of four years, two of those churches had fizzled out, and the fourth one was on life support. <laughs> we, we recognized that we needed to do something differently, and so we shifted our model. Um, we transitioned ourselves away from the one uh, kind of brick-and-mortar traditional-looking church, and we started doing microchurch ministry with Angolans. And the last phase of our ministry in Angola was helping launch um, a microchurch network there. We moved back to the U.S. in 2021, just last year, and we moved to Boston in August, and we decided to move to Boston 
because we're fluent in Portuguese and there are tens of thousands of people in our area who are also fluent in Portuguese. So we're exploring what microchurch might look like among Portuguese-speaking people in Boston. And in my free time, I'm a campus minister at Boston University. <laughs> wow. There's a whole podcast of content just right there. That's exactly why we wanted to introduce you to people and have you on is because you're living so much of our heartbeat here at Renaissance before you even join the Renaissance community. So we're so thankful you're part of the community. So thankful for what you guys are doing with the Emmaus Microchurch and what could be birthing uh, out of that. And so today we're going to be talking about participation and the sacrifice of mission and how we want to say yes and join uh, God where he's working. But to start out, I want to ask us a question uh, like we always do. And the question is, what's a crazy story from your life living on mission that no one would expect? So I'm going to go first because your story is going to definitely be cooler than mine. Uh, but I, one of the things we did when we first got here is we were just trying to meet people when we moved to Waltham. And so we did Rover, which is a dog sitting app and got to, um, sit some dogs, sit, sit on some dogs. I don't know the right way to say that. Watch some dogs. And, uh, some of the dogs were awful. One of our first dogs was, um, a great dog named Stella. And we got to meet some friends through, uh, her and they've become some of our best friends here. And, uh, they have continually, uh, been some of the people that we go to and through them we've gotten to meet more people and so would have never expected uh, some horrible dog sitting jobs and then one of them to turn into some of our uh, best people here as we've tried to uh, get connected to the neighborhood. So what about for you? Uh, we, when we first got to Angola um, you know we bought cars and rented houses and we're settling in and I had a friend named Charles, and I was uh, super excited to get to know Charles. He was a faithful Christian, and, and we thought Charles would be, uh, had potential to be one of the people that we would really tap on to work with us in the, in the church planning stuff. And so um, I wanted to get to know Charles, and there's no better way to do that than a road trip. So I asked Charles if he'd like to go out and visit. Um, he, he had a plot of farmland that one of his um, aunts uh, lived on and worked for him and I said hey let's go out and visit your aunt and we can talk while we're in the car and, and he was um, excited about that so I pick him up we're headed out of town and uh, just outside of town he asked if we could stop for a minute and I pull over and he said I'll be right back and he runs out and he comes back with two goats and he says hey I need to take these goats out to the farmland can we put them in the back of the car and I was totally unprepared and so I just open up the back of the car and we put these two goats in and for 45 minutes on this road trip out to Charles's farm uh you know it's Angolan roads every time we hit a bump you know this and we get there and the whole time I hear the goats and I'm I'm just angry I'm new car goats in the back of the car there is goat excrement everywhere <laughs> we finally get there and like there's just a slurry of goat feces and urine all over the carpet in the back of the car and so the whole ride instead of talking to Charles about Jesus or anything you know spiritual I'm just trying not to be ticked off <laughs> about these goats in the back of my car that are destroying the rug so we get back home and I know I have to you know I have to clean this now <laughs> so I drop Charles off and I go home and I'm fuming and I open up the back of the car and I pull out the carpet and I get down on my hands and knees in our driveway and I'm I'm trying to wash goat dung out of my 
car carpet, and my neighbor Carluche, without saying a word, comes out and grabs a bucket and soap and a brush, and he gets down on his hands and knees next to me, and he just starts helping me scrub goat feces out of the rug. And I realize in that moment, oh my word, God has given me an opportunity to get to know a neighbor. And I just start talking to Carluche, and he ended up, we ended up reading through the Gospel of Mark together um, and forming this really cool friendship. Um, and it was all, you know, a laugh at my bad attitude, but then how God took something and turned it into something really cool. So, through goat crap. Wow. Well, like I said, cooler story, and that's amazing. So we'll talk more on that theme of participation and sacrifice, which from your first story, we can already tell you've done both. And uh, stick with us as we enter into the big idea. Welcome into the Dream, Create, Enjoy podcast. This podcast is an extension of Renaissance. We're a family of microchurches around the greater Boston area. We dream together of God using every kind of person to create communities of unconditional belonging who enjoy the freedom found in the life Christ offers us. Every episode, we'll explore themes related to starting and sustaining those types of communities and what it means to be the church in our unique cultural moment. To find out more about us, head to wearerenaissance.org. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy the episode. Welcome back. We are going to unpack this big idea of participation. And so we've been kind of working through the four P's of what we think as we describe living on mission in our context, that these four P's help us to do that. So we talk about pace, slowing down our pace from the hurry so we can be attentive to God, and then presence where we actually begin to see where God is working and moving and become aware of him, not just for an hour a week, but in our entire lives. And then participation where we see God moving and then we join him and say yes. And then the, the fourth is praxis where in all things we want to practice the way of Jesus, honor God and connect with him. So really we're talking about participation in how we want to see where God is moving and say yes and throw ourselves into the game. We don't want to stay on the sidelines. We don't want to be theorists. We want to actually participate, but that requires that we slow down. That requires that we actually become aware of where God is in the coffee shop, in our neighborhood, in our neighbor's lives, that we believe in a sacramental mentality that God is everywhere. And so this is so important, and we think we see this in Scripture, but oftentimes uh it can be so easy for us to not participate, for to just talk the talk rather than walk the walk, to just live um, as saying all the right things, but then not actually living it out. So, man, this is such an important conversation, could go so many different directions, but Robert, I'd love to hear, like, why is it so important to participate as we follow Jesus on mission? I think, I mean, one of, the, I, one of the things I say all the time is God cares maybe more about what we do than he does about what we think. And so often I think what we emphasize as, you know, church-going people is having the right information and thinking the right things. And I think about, uh, you know, a verse that's been very meaningful to my family is, you know, in James where he says, 
real uh, true religion is taking care of widows and orphans in their distress and just mm-hmm. the idea of how are you putting into practice what you're learning um, mm-hmm. and I think that's the essence of participation is not necessarily getting it all right and I mean, even in the story I shared about my friends Charles and Carluche I mean like I look back and I'm disappointed in myself at how angry I was over something as trivial as as the carpet, but then recognizing an opportunity to, to um, take advantage of the person that God put before me and getting it wrong um, is, I think, less important than actually engaging in what mm-hmm. in what Jesus is doing. Yeah, I, I think that like hits the head when we talk about success and failure. And first of all, I think it's key that we are okay with failure, that failing is is not a bad thing. You look at all the stories in scripture of of people's Mm -hmm. lives where, I mean, they had massive slip-ups, they had Mm -hmm. massive failures, but they continue to walk forward, walk with God, say yes. And I think we have to change our metrics of success, that Mm -hmm. if success is gathering a lot of money or gathering a lot of followers or numbers, Mm -hmm. or I, I did this specific action, I think we actually miss out on what God wants to do, that success looks more like faithfulness and obedience. And then when that becomes our success metric, then uh, really we can truly say, have I been faithful to where the Spirit's leading? Am I doing, if I have an invitation from the Spirit, am I saying yes to that? Mm -hmm. And that gets a a little more blurry. It's Mm -hmm. a a little less, we're less able to control that, which is a little scary, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think... um faithfulness is key and when I talk about you know our involvement with micro churches in Angola um, we failed so much before we actually um, saw any fruit come from what we were doing we uh, when we went back to Angolan church leaders and we said okay we we've helped you launch kind of these traditional looking brick and mortar churches and we you know and and we had some we have one that's still going two that aren't we want to try something different and we laid out sort of a micro church model for them. And they said, yeah, that won't work. And we said, well, we'd like a chance to prove you wrong. And they <laughs> were gracious and they said, okay. And they gave us that chance. And then we, <laughs> and then the first uh, three iterations of our, of our first micro church, we had, we felt like we were gaining traction with a group of people and we were meeting in a home and we're doing, you know, Bible study and worship together. And we were bringing people in and we were excited. And then on three different occasions, it just fizzled out. It was like almost overnight, everyone that we were meeting with totally abandoned us for one reason or another. And we, at the end of nearly four years of of these iterations of microchurch, we were wondering, should we call it quits? And we decided, no, we're going to give it another go. And fourth time around, we had um, this incredible group of young people who were excited to be a part of microchurch and didn't want to, um, but they didn't want to, to multiply. Like they, we kind of were a happy little house church that didn't want to actually go out and do anything. And all of a sudden the most incredible thing happened um, called COVID. And <laughs> not to make light of something that's been you yeah. know, terrible, but um, when COVID happened, um, we were forced to rethink things because the government in Angola, um, actually shut the city down businesses were closed Um, if you didn't sell like flour and butter and milk you you had to shut your doors and people were barricaded into their neighborhoods the government wasn't allowing people to leave their neighborhoods 
And so our little house church had to um, figure out a new model. And so everybody broke up and, and did their own thing where they were. And three months later, when the government allowed churches to begin worshiping together again, um, our one little micro church had become four and we'd gone from 12 people to 60 people. And most of them were people who were coming out of nominal faith at best. And I look back at that and I think, I didn't do anything. <laughs> like, I can't take credit for any of that. Mm-hmm. It was just being willing to fail mm-hmm. and, and be faithful and you know, failing over and over again and just saying, I'm still going to try this because I do believe this is what God has called us to. And and that community has continued to grow because they've they recognize what God is doing. And it's mm. just so cool to look at that and to be able to say, yeah, I think I'm pretty terrible at this stuff, actually. But <laughs> but just being willing to engage. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and I hear that. It sounds like you everyone was like forced to participate because right. of the circumstances. Right. And I think that's one of the temptations, especially of people who are in full-time ministry, air quotes, mm-hmm. or uh, pastors, and, you know, we kind of fall in that. But we really believe in, in part of the microchurch model is that everyone is in full-time ministry, right? But people who have gone Bible college degrees are so tempted to live as theorists and not participate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so much easier to stand on a stage and talk at people about what they should do than actually doing it. Yeah. And so that's one of our uh, values at Renaissance is we want to be practitioners. Mm-hmm. And, um, man, do you have any thoughts on why it's just so easy for us to live as theorists or the dangers of living as theorists rather than actually jumping in ourselves? Yeah, I, I have to be careful because I'll sound pretty cynical. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I've i had many, many opportunities to share about what we do in Angola. And um, anytime I do a, a little presentation about what we're doing, I, I would get, a, I would get, I would open it up for questions after. And I have never spoken about Angola and not had the question, is Angola safe? And I think that that speaks to where we are as an American culture. We value safety and security above all else. And we're so afraid of what am I risking if I, you know, engage with people Mm -hmm. who don't, you know, live like me or don't Mm -hmm. think like me. And it's just so easy to kind of stay in our comfort zone and even justify it with uh, why we, we make it, we bathe it with spiritual sounding language. <laughs> you know, we say, well, and I just think Jesus wants me to make sure that uh, I'm healthy. Or I just think that um, God has called me to the people that are around me. And those people all happen to look exactly like me and think exactly like me. Um, and we, we close doors that God is trying to push us through. And it, it makes me very sad <laughs> and very cynical. Yes. Yeah. You can spiritualize anything, right? Yeah. And yeah. It is very sad. Very sad. Yeah. I think that's part of it is that part of what God does is he forms us as we are on mission in the sacrifice. I mean, there's so many scriptures that talk about that we're formed through a refining fire that, yeah. As we enter, uh, as we love those that, that God is, we are experiencing God's love and it transforms us. And so, like, I feel like we miss out on part of our own formation mm-hmm. unless we actually participate. Yeah. yeah so, uh, we 
want to be a uh, type of movement that doesn't just talk about things, but actually does things and not just gathers people into a room, but actually goes out and participates where God is in everyday spaces. And so that's what we're going to talk about in this next section as we kind of talked about the problem. We're going to talk about how practically in our context, where we live, work, and play, um, in our microchurches, how we can participate and uh, welcome sacrifice and say yes. So that's where we're going to head now. So now as we walk out this big idea, we've been talking about the danger of not participating. Now we're going to talk about the danger of participating, of the inherent sacrifice that's required in mission and how we can say yes to that. And so I'd love to start out just by thinking about how does participating in God's mission inherently require sacrifice? I mean, you talked about the number one question is that, is it safe? And so why is when we follow Jesus, it inherently not safe and why is that okay yeah i i think that well i know one of the values of of renaissance is presence and being you know being with people and we chose to move to boston to uh see how god could use the fact that we speak portuguese and so when we were looking at buying a house uh we uh started looking at the neighborhoods where they have the highest concentration of portuguese speakers and we ended up moving into a neighborhood called Nubian Square, which is a low-income neighborhood, 5.6% um, white, 25% of the people were born in other countries. And every day on my walk to the bus terminal, I walk past the guys that are openly um, selling drugs <laughs> on the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we, when we started meeting with a real estate agent and, and told him the neighborhood we want to live in. He tried to steer us to uh, a, a neighboring neighborhood because mm-hmm. he said, well, really, the, I mean, the schools are better. The, they're the, the neighborhood is safer. I don't understand why you want to look at houses here in, in Nubian Square. Is it because they're, you know, less expensive? And, I, you know, and, and finally, I had to tell my uh, real estate agent, who is not a person of faith, like, no, we're, we want to live in this neighborhood. Like, this is where we want to look. And we don't want to look at houses outside this neighborhood. And I choose to send my kids to uh, low-income schools because I want them to be interacting with people uh, who um, they can see their uh, influence on. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want them to, f- to feel a calling to be missional in their middle school and high school and I think that that is just as important to their formation as young men as their education is. Mm-hmm. And my parents think I'm crazy. And, <laughs> and you know, if people look at us and they say, why, why are you, why do you choose to live there? Like it's a rough neighborhood. And, and I just think, how can I minister to people if I am not willing to actually live where they live and shop in the, poorly stocked Mm. stores that they shop in and and truly engage in in community life. Um, And the irony of it, we don't feel like it's a sacrifice because we see the blessing that comes through it. And so it's like for everything that we're giving up, you know, my boys are, are growing up 
with a, the real knowledge that we practice our faith mm-hmm. and it's not just theory that I, you know, and they're not going to a traditional looking youth ministry where they're little consumers that are soaking it all in and <laughs> they're, they're thinking about how can I get involved and, mm-hmm. and I just, I love that. So I, I don't know how to um, live out the life God's calling us to do any other way and, and, um, and I think God's blessing it. Man, when I hear you talk, the word incarnation just keeps being highlighted. That incarnation requires sacrifice. Jesus incarnated, came into the world. It was not exactly how he wanted it to be. He required a lot of sacrifice. And uh, you're actually living it. And it... Even part of the sacrifice I hear you saying is like you're you're being critiqued by family, by other Christians, by people that just not understanding, and yet the way you're living is uh, is a, uh, a an apologetic a, a pointer to God in and of itself, which is incredible. You're living with the the actions and the words all together, and um, I love you're you're being where you're at. I know for us as we're in here in uh, Boston and we're, we're pretty new. We've been in New England for six years that we're at that stage where we're about to start having kids. And we, we knew this, but coming in, we were like, we want to stay here long-term because we know that's part of mission is being rooted. Mm-hmm. And uh, that means that we're probably going to raise our kids away from family. And it's like, you, you knew that, but now we're kind of feeling that. Yeah. And it's like, okay, like mm-hmm. this is what we feel like God is inviting us into we want to say yes to that Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's hard when you hear about you know people moving away or people like getting to raise kids right next to grandparents and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. but for us in our situation we feel like this is what God wants us to and part of what I heard you say and and part of what I'm alluding to it's letting go of the American dream Mm -hmm. right like not moving up into the right and you're uh, not going to have the greatest house with the greatest yard yeah but that's part of what God calls us into right yeah and i really what the sacrifices i make on behalf of my kids i mean that is the hardest part i mean i've always i'm I'm pretty easygoing in most aspects of life i don't require a lot but when i watch my say that are you sure uh well no she's not here so (laughs) (laughs) you'll have to interview her next okay but um you know i'm so aware of the sacrifice that they're making and my colleagues at, you know, in campus ministry are telling me I should pull them from that school and put them in the private Mm -hmm. Christian school and they'll even help me raise the funds to cover the tuition. And, you know, and I'm saying, no, I mean, we're committed to the neighborhood and Mm -hmm. being committed to the neighborhood being means being committed to neighborhood schools. And it turns out that, you know, and my son, I think he could appreciate it in a way, even though he didn't like it. And he kept at it, and now he has lunch every day with his friend Ahmed Mohammed, um, <laughs> who is, you know, Muslim. Um, but because he's a practicing Muslim, he has some values, and he's really courteous and kind. And Efeson has really enjoyed getting to know him. Yeah. And they're having conversations about faith in their high school over lunch. Um, and I think God is answering prayer and blessing that. And wow. you know, so it's. The sacrifice is hard, um, especially when it's a sacrifice that we're making on behalf of someone we love. But I've just seen God work through it so many times that it's a choice to, to trust that he will. 
Yeah. Yeah, I hear that choice and I hear that trust in, for all of us, it's that reorganization of our lives to participate. Mm-hmm. And that, you can talk about that, but it's really hard. And that looks a lot of different ways. It could be putting your kids in, in a school where uh, it might not be the best school. It could be choosing to stay where you currently live, even though uh, you could move to a better place. It could be moving from where you're currently at to a neighborhood in need. It could be leaving nights of the week open mm-hmm. so you can have people over, which means you're going to say no to doing other things, right? There's so much of how sacrifices we can have. And obviously there's so much more and for each of us. It looks a little different, but I love highlighting your story and your example, because uh, I think that each of us in our own context can learn a lot from it. But in all of that, it sounds like for you, it's worth it. It sounds like you want to do that. So why, Mm -hmm. as we participate, why is the sacrifice worth it? Yeah, I think, um, and you, you know, something you said reminded me that not everyone needs to move into a low-income neighborhood to be living out the gospel. And that's I don't right. want to sound like I think that's <laughs> absolutely essential to faith. But I think what is essential is is a choice to be vulnerable mm. and to let people into our sacred space. And you know, and and that means having people in our home, um, finding people in the spaces where they are, and and that. I think especially in American context, that vulnerability is hard. We're so guarded. We don't want to let people in. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, when we let people in, we get hurt. And I mean, we've been hurt. And I, and that's the consequence of you know human nature. I think we're just going to have that happen. But at the same time, when we let people in, people let us into their lives. And it creates a sense of community that is deep in mm-hmm. ways that we don't experience I think we don't experience outside of, of a community of faith that's vulnerable with each other and speaking into each other's lives and that the sacrifice is worth it because for everything I give up on behalf of others someone else is, is giving up on behalf of me mm-hmm. and one thing that we learned living on mission in Angola and we already see it playing out as a part of our family here at Renaissance is we if, if if everybody is sacrificing on behalf of everybody else, then nobody has to worry about whether or not their needs are being met because we're looking out for each other and being a part of a vulnerable community that's figuring out what it means to follow Jesus together is, you know, such a beautiful place where that comes from. Mm. Yeah, it makes me think of that iconic line from Jesus, right? That whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Mm -hmm. And there's so much more under the surface than the finances, the the house, the perfect education, the getting to use my time however I want, Mm -hmm. but that uh, those indelible qualities of um, true community, of feeling like we have purpose of entering into relationship with others of seeing God show up in ways that we he we would have never seen unless we were willing to give our yes I mean there's all these things that at the end of our lives we can say oh that's actually what mattered like this actually um is what's going to satisfy and so it's so hard for us to think of it as long term rather than short term of the kingdom values rather than american values Mm -hmm. but i think that that is so key so in all of this is it we think it's worth it we think it's worth it for the sake of jesus we think Mm -hmm. it's worth it for the sake of others we think 
actually it's better for our lives in the long run. And even um, in there's so many people in Scripture that they actually never saw the promise fulfilled, right? They never actually had all their hopes and dreams happen. And yet uh, we know that the bigger narrative of God's story, that uh, their sacrifice as an individual uh, helped tell the story of God's redemption overall. And so even shifting our mindset from that individual mindset, which I heard you say, Mm -hmm. and enter into this, I'm part of the kingdom, I'm part of God's story, and I'm going to do my part. And it's not about me, which is, again, so countercultural, but so key for us. So how can we actually put legs on this? Like, what are some ideas for if you're a microchurch leader, if you're someone who is trying to live on mission, if you've been stuck in theory and you're trying to move to participation, like, what are some practical ways that, that we all can move towards participation with God in our everyday lives? Yeah. Um, one... Uh author that's been very influential in my thinking is Tim Keller. I know Drew mm. always likes to drop the book references, so here I go. <laughs> but in, in Tim Keller's Center Church, he talks about uh, one of the problems uh, of, the, of the contemporary church is we organize all of our service projects um, as a community of faith, and we go out and we serve, when really maybe what we should be doing is going out and serving as Christians with secular organizations. Mm. And that creates opportunities for us to engage people and say, well, why are you here? Well, I'm here because I want to you know, be like Christ. And, and I, my wife is much better at all of this participation stuff than I am. I just... Mine get, too. I get, I get to have all the words, you know, and she actually does the deeds. So, but she, um, she works at uh, Boston Healthcare for the Homeless, um, which is a low-paying nursing position in the city. Um, but she chooses to work there because of the mission of the organization. And uh, truth be told, she has not had opportunities really to share her faith with the population that they are serving. But what happens is she has opportunities to share her faith with her coworkers. Hmm. You know, and when her coworkers ask, you have years of experience, like, why are you here? Why, why don't you want to go to work for one of the hospitals that actually pays a living wage and you know like has better working conditions for their people and she has an opportunity to talk about well I'm here because I believe you know this is where God wants me to be and you know just choosing to go serve in whatever is going on in our neighborhood you know is alongside people who may not have faith creates opportunities for for sharing the gospel I I joined the parent uh, teacher um, council at my son's school so that I could get to know other other parents, and um, so far that's been a total bust because I'm the only parent that shows up to any of those meetings. But you know, like we're searching for ways to like get engaged in the community and serve um, alongside people who don't share our faith commitment, and uh, I think that's. Essential to who we are as a community of faith, yeah. like how can we serve with people? Yeah, I think all of us looking for those open doors, especially in non Christian circles, and it's like, how can I incarnate? How can mm-hmm. I go? And I think all of this depends on uh, your personality, your interests, the way the Spirit is leading you. And mm-hmm. as you slow down your pace and as you look for presence, that for you it might look like the PTA and mm-hmm. uh, opening up uh, to different serving opportunities for someone else. Uh, it might look completely different, right? But mm-hmm. yeah. uh, for all of us, it's like looking through those opportunities in the community. 
I think another thing uh, is uh, in those individual relationships yeah. of making yourself open to people is just asking God, how can I add value to people's lives? How yeah. can I serve? Help me to get my eyes off of myself and onto others. And mm-hmm. that looks so unique in so many different ways. So yeah. it could be someone in your running club that you just invite out to grab a bite to eat. It could be you realize that um, there's not anyone's friend in that person's life and you just start pursuing them. And it, it might not be the your favorite thing ever and it might be hard, but you intentionally do that because you're trying to participate in the way you feel like the Spirit's leading you. It could even be someone who is part of a, a group on Facebook, a community, and uh, you get to know people and over the years you start sending birthday cards. I mean, those intentional yeah. things where it's like, God, how can I... Uh, participate in the community and, and say yes and yeah. in all of this I think it, it leads us to places that we never expected to go yeah. and it's way harder and it takes a much longer time I hear yeah. like your story about the PTA and I think about uh, Drew tells a story of uh, getting to serve at the Salvation Army and it's like man why am I just like loading food for like ever and like mm-hmm. it feels like a long time and of course that in and of itself is worth it but then eventually long story short it led us to getting to create a partnership Yeah. and now uh, as a movement we get to meet at the Salvation Army right yeah. and who knew that years ago getting to, to help load food would eventually lead to us getting to have a space, right? And we yeah. don't do things for things, but you never know how God's going to use it for mission, for the kingdom, and our, yeah. jobs, our jobs to be faithful. I think intentional is the key word. Um, you know, even simple stuff, like we noticed when we had a big snow, you know, a couple months ago, um, where Teague and I are inside and th- thanking God that we don't have to go anywhere tomorrow so we don't have to go and dig our car out of a five-foot snowdrift. And then we look out the window at 9 o'clock at night and we realize that all of our neighbors are outside digging their cars out because so they, right. they have to get up at 6 in the morning to you know go to work. And I put my clothes back on and I go, dang it, I have to get outside and <laughs> shovel snow <laughs> because the entire neighborhood is outside right. shoveling snow. And it was just, you know, in our, in our neighborhood, and I think this is true all over, people just aren't all outside at the same time together very often. And it was just, well, this is a chance I have to get out there and meet my neighbors and complain about something together, you know, like, right. <laughs> Hey man, this sucks. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you know, Like we're cold. And, and I just think, being being intentional about forming relationships you know we've started walking our dog um down in the park and we've we figured out when the neighbors walk their dog and we try to get out at the same time just to create that opportunity to get to know people and you know if if anyone is looking for a place to start i just think being intentional about figuring out how we can meet our neighbors like being aware of of what's going on and, and creating opportunities Mm-hmm. Um, just to start forming relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, any anything we can do to be local, to be rooted, and again to be aware of God and, and say, God, how can I partner with you? Because mm-hmm. we know that that God's already there, that God's yeah. already working, and we get to join Him in mission. Yeah. So as we kind of wrap up, uh, what as a community, all of us, I know so many people part of the Renaissance community are living this out in mm-hmm. incredible ways. Uh, but what are some of your hopes for us as a community as we continue to uh, 
try to live this out is as more people join the renaissance family what what is your hope as we try to participate and as we try to embrace sacrifice yeah i think that um one of the great values of the microchurch model and of renaissance is the community formed around the idea of being intentional and being incarnational and i've just been encouraged i mean I, i mentioned how my family and my coworkers all think I'm insane for the decisions that I'm making, but I get to come and be a part of, you know, the Renaissance, you know, micro church and celebration services and things. And, and we encourage each other and it's the one place where I don't feel like I'm crazy. <laughs> you know, like, oh, cool. There are other people here that are, that are trying to do this too. And I, I hope that we lean into that and we continue to find more and more, um, courageous ways to engage our community um and the value of community too is we all see different opportunities you know i'm fluent in portuguese and i hope that as you know other people in renaissance encounter you know cape verdean immigrants they say oh let me introduce you to my friend robert right and then likewise you know as i meet people who are at different points in their life i i can i know the community and i can say let me introduce you to my friend you know jacob or my friend Charlie or my friend Fab and mm-hmm. and you know like the beauty of community is we're kind of we're all doing this together mm-hmm. we're all crazy together <laughs> and yeah. we're like we're resourcing each mm-hmm. other and 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 making those connections and so I I mean I love that I get to be a part of this and I and that's my prayer for Renaissance as we keep pushing each other further and further out as we lean into that calling Hmm. Man, what a great place to end because we're always tempted to do this solo mm-hmm. and uh, we want to operate as spiritual families yeah. and we know that uh, other people can help us to hear God, help us to see God, that so often our perception in and of itself is inaccurate or we, we're missing something and so to get to encourage one another, support one another, help each other see where opportunities are, uh, I know God uh, will continue to do uh, big things through the small everyday practices. And so, Robert, thanks for joining us. Yeah. It's so good to have you thanks. highlight your story. And uh, it's fun. Yeah. So um, thanks for joining us on the Dream Create Enjoy podcast. So glad that you listen. We pray that it's helpful. Pray for you and encourage you as you're trying to live this out in your context. And hope to see you next time.